From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, July 30th. Healing in unity. These are not just concepts, but actions that the SLC Air Protectors aim to foster through an event in the Moab community. The group is a Native American-led organization whose staff and volunteers work on raising awareness about ongoing environmental crises in Utah. They recently organized a prayer run from Bears Ears National Monument to Warm Springs Park in northern Utah. Now they are partnering with local nonprofit Full Circle Intertribal Center on the first annual Red Sand Powwow. It's slated for mid-September at the Old Spanish Trail Arena. Jacob Crane is the executive director of SLC Air Protectors and stopped by the KZMU studios to catch us up on this event. So, Dadanis Dadas is a Jacob Crane at... uh Hello everyone, my name is Jacob Crane. I am the executive director of the SLC Air Protectors. We are a nonprofit organization based in Salt Lake City. Uh, we do a lot of uh, COVID relief work, uh, garden initiatives. Uh, we just love building you know, community capacity in any way we, we can. So mm-hmm. that's what we do for the state and for the city of Salt Lake City, yeah. This is not your first time to Moab. Can you tell us you know, uh, what has brought you to this area before? I love Moab. It's so much fun. Um, It's a great city, great people. I love the views. Just something about the red, the red rock, the red sand. It just, it brings me back. I love it when it rains. The smell of the rain hitting the sand, that, Mm. what is, I don't even know what it's called, that mineral smell, that rich mineral smell. That's, that, that, that means a lot to me. So that's why I come back. Um, Can you share with us what LCLC Air Protectors is doing here in Moab? So we really wanted to do something for a town, city, um, county in Utah. We just didn't know exactly where. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to host a powwow and we were kind of like flipping through the yellow pages, you know, Googling a bunch of towns and we're like, where could we go that hasn't had a powwow before? And so me being a powwow goer and a longtime dancer and singer, I thought, what the heck? Moab hasn't had a powwow in like 20 years. Let's let's do let let's let's see if we can do something in Moab. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of the things that we we really wanted to spotlight is, you know, strengthening community, building relationships with indigenous folks and our allies within Moab, but also just bringing that value, you know, that cultural value mm-hmm. to Moab so that folks can see firsthand what it's like to be in the life of an indigenous person and that dance through song mm-hmm. and really healing together because that's really what uh, a powwow is it's a lower ceremony okay. uh, it's very social and it's open to the the general public so you know I, I teach a little bit of dance at Salt Lake Community College from time to time and the one thing folks always ask us you know our our allies they ask indigenous folks is when can we participate and now is the perfect time to participate is through this powwow. So I hope all the community comes out and really enjoys the food and the dancing, the singing, and just get involved. You know, you said the word value. Can you expand on that? Well, value, it's different for many folks, okay. you know. So like with indigenous people, I feel like value could be really anything. It could be this rock, this sand, this mountain, this land. It could be, that's value to indigenous people. Value to other folks, it might be money. It could be food. It could be the same thing. Um, but we just want to make sure that we're leaving as much value as we can here with, within the community so that uh, it's a win-win for 
you know, the organization, but also within um, the folks here in Moab. Mm -hmm. What brings LCLC Air Protectors to this level of organizing that's statewide? You know what? I don't know exactly. We just, as soon as I, I took the job a year and a half ago, I just went full throttle. You know, and I'm like, you know, what? we're going to do what we can with what we have. Mm-hmm. And we really turn that organization into something that's really, you know, community driven. Mm-hmm. You know, we love to serve um, the indigenous folks within, you know, the, the state of Utah. But we, we love building partnerships and building community capacities. In previous conversations I've had with you about, um, you know, related to the prayer run that you do annually, it seems like the level of organizing is always intertribal. Can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah. We always want to make sure that we're we're not just making it one tribe specific, you know, one race specific. We want to make sure that everybody is involved. And so we want to make sure that we're reaching out to our allies. We're reaching out to different tribal communities within mm-hmm. the Southwest, across Indian country, across the U.S., we just want to make sure that we have that involvement and it's an inclusive community. So so with the powwow, you know, inclusivity is kind of at the forefront. This is an open um, public gathering. Yeah. Um, what can people expect? You can expect to see a lot of colors, um, beautiful regalias, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of singing, different um, Native American genres being played, a little bit of flute, a lot of um, singing, powwow singing. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know what that is, you can always go to the University of YouTube. It's for free 99. Just go in there and punch in powwow, <laughs> powwow singing, and you'll, you'll, you'll see what you're going to hear. And uh, a lot of food, a lot of food. Yeah. Okay. You've emphasized the food. So oh, yeah. come get our, uh, our Indian tacos, our Navajo tacos are going to be for, for sale there. And yeah, it's just gonna be a lot of fun. We're going to have a lot of fun together. Now, you know, in Moab, you know, the non-Indigenous community, how should they show up in your opinion? Um, they should just, you know, come on in, you know, um, we are charging a small fee of $8 per person to join us for the weekend. You know, as long as, you know, everybody's being respectful. And if you want to take a selfie, make sure that you ask the dancer or the singer beforehand. And this is a a COVID, you know, we're trying to make sure that there's protocols in order. So if you could wear a mask, that'd be awesome. Um, Mm -hmm. And just be respectful of everybody. That's what I would say. And just come to have a fun time, too. You know, it is a drug and alcohol free event, though. I will say that. Mm -hmm. But um you know, come heal with us, come dance with us. There's going to be a lot of intertribals, round dances, and that's really where our allies can kind of come in together and, you mm-hmm. know, share that space. And yeah. How many people do you expect to come? Several hundred, I would Several say hundred. four four to 800 people passing through, mm-hmm. through the weekend. Um, we're just in our final stages of gathering our last sponsors and donors. Um, we're about to hit our goal for the budget, so mm-hmm. we're really good. Um, and so for our for our elders that are listening, we are trying to do our best to accommodate you. We um, Kristen from Full Circle Intertribal Center is working on shuttles to pick up and drop off elders within the Moab uh, region, uh, city of Moab. And so if you're interested in that, please contact Kristen at fullcircleintertribalcenter.org. Yeah. Jacob, is there anything else that you feel like is worth mentioning um, about this event or the work that you do, um, not only in the state, but, you know, throughout our region? Uh, the number one reason why we're putting on this event is is to celebrate, um, but also to heal our communities 
And so we just want to make sure that we're doing that healing together and that unity and that we're strengthening um, relationships between the indigenous and non-indigenous and, you know, to continue to to foster those relationships. So we just want to make sure that everybody, you know, has a good time and that there's there's a healing process because coming out of this pandemic, you know, it's been really hard the past year and a half. We've lost so many people. And so we want to make sure that uh, we're creating space for not just the indigenous people, but for our allies as well to, to share that space in a healing way. You know, where else do you see healing needing to show up, um, needing to happen um, in our society right now? I would say within our family units, our family units, we need to do some healing, you know, um, there's a lot of broken families out there and we just want to make sure that we're, you know, if you haven't talked to your mom or your dad or your loved ones for a while, you know, reach out to them, reach out to your friends, you know, mend those, those relationships and, you know, how can we continue to move forward in a good way? And, um, life is too short to be, to be angry. You know, it's, you got, you need some love in your life and you need to smile more. So, yeah. Anything else to mention about the powwow? Moab, it's going down September 11th and 12th, Saturday and Sunday, noon to 10 p.m. on Saturday, noon to 6 p.m. on Sunday. Come, come roll through, bring your friends, bring your family. It's a, it's a great family event, really, but it's going to be an awesome, awesome experience. You're going to see some wicked dancing, some wicked singing. Just, just come ready to learn. And if you, you know, if you want to participate in the dancing um, during the inner tribals and round dances, feel free to join us. Yeah, have some fun. Jacob Crane, executive director of SLC Air Protectors. The organization is partnering with Full Circle Inner Tribal Center on the first annual Red Sand Powwow in Moab. Find more information at slcairprotectors.org and fullcircleinnertribalcenter.org. And now the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters about their latest stories in the Moab area. Grand County Search and Rescue is often dubbed the busiest in the state. Doug McMurdo of the Times Independent reports that while that's not always the case, this local unit is well poised to respond to well over 100 diverse calls this year. I started off my interview with uh, Jim Webster, the uh, commander of Grand County Sheriff's Search and Rescue in June. This was a, a month-long uh, effort to, to get all the information for this story. Mm-hmm. And the first question I asked was, uh, what's it feel like to uh, command the busiest search and rescue unit in the state of Utah? And he, he said, well, we're actually not the busiest. That's something that just is out there. Sometimes we're the busiest. Sometimes sure. it's Utah County. Sometimes it's Washington County. And all that stands to reason because people go there too mm-hmm. uh, to do their adventure uh, recreation. So, um, yeah, we are sometimes, we, we all kind of take turns is, is how he put it. So um, you got to re- report the news that you get. So we don't get to be called the busiest search and rescue, at least not every every single year. Depending on the month, depending on the week, probably. I think just depending on the year, you know, True. just depending on the year. Yeah, they they're already on track. Uh, they had close to 70 calls by June 17th, which isn't even the halfway point of the year. So. And what kinds of calls? Did you get into that a little bit in the article? Yeah, it was interesting. I talked to um, Frank Mendonca, who was the uh, vice commander. And he is the longest serving member. He's been there since 1992. And uh, in the early days, calls for searches far outnumbered 
calls for rescues mm. because trails weren't marked as well as they are today. Okay. GPS really wasn't out there. Mm-hmm. The, the government still had GPS right. signals scrambled. It existed. We just couldn't get access to it. But since then, we do have it. So mm-hmm. more and more calls are, are for rescues, and there's more and more people doing these mm-hmm. extreme sports. Right. Um, but everything from... Um, you know, a hiker with a broken ankle at left hand to a base jumper that smacked the side of a mountain on the, on the way down within a mishap. And mm-hmm. they got to climb, you know, 400 feet to get them or use the helicopter, or, you know, do all kinds of technical heroic mm-hmm. stuff, really heroic stuff. And they're very, uh, I spent an hour with them last week and they're very, they're during their training. And I was expecting, you know, your typical macho uh, wearing pants with 17 pockets and uh, I was just regular people having a good time but taking their training very seriously it was uh, a yeah. it was an eye-opener they do a lot for this community they do they stay busy and they do it for pennies mm-hmm. with that you know are these mostly volunteers are some getting paid once their training ends they they get paid as a volunteer okay so we're talking a stipend mm-hmm. every time they go out on a call Sure. So per call, they get paid. Yeah, and yep. that's to cover, you know, like a volunteer fire department. Mm-hmm. A lot of times those guys get paid uh, 50 bucks every time they go mm-hmm. fight a fire. Let's begrudge them those $50 that they earn mm-hmm. risking their lives. So, yeah, they, they do get paid, mm-hmm. and they have really good equipment. They have really good training. Uh, you have to be to be as busy as they are. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think that, by and large, they're volunteering more than they're getting paid for sure interesting write-up in this week's edition of the times independent now let's move to somewhere else let's go to hotel rooms yes i think um regular folks who would like to stay in motels and hotels in moab would like uh, a search and rescue mission to find where those (laughs) might be because they do not exist moab is home to the most expensive hotel and motel rooms in the state of Utah. Okay. The most expensive hotel rooms in the state right now. Yes. What a what an honor. Yes. More expensive <laughs> than Park City, more expensive than Salt Lake. Um, I took a photo of the Hoodoo because it's it's a, a pretty upscale property. Sure. And um, I went online Monday and prices ranged from $321 to $370 per night. So what's driving that? Reporter mm-hmm. Carter Poppy did a, a deep dive. He used um, quite a bit of information uh, that uh, uh, data that he got from uh, uh, CoStar Realty Information. Okay, uh, they're uh, an industry uh, think tank, mm-hmm. and um, they did uh, quite an extensive analysis. And then Carter added to to their analysis by uh, doing Google searches and uh, getting other information. It's really hard to get information on this type of thing because. Mm. It's it's all proprietary. Nobody wants to, their competitors know even what their occupancy is, much mm-hmm. less what they're charging or what their amenities are. So okay. it's, uh, I don't want to say it's secretive, but it's proprietary. Proprietary. So you so, have to do some digging. Yeah, you have to do some digging. And uh, he really did a, a good job on it. And, of course, it's all driven by everything in a, in a capitalist society, supply and demand. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the supply uh, 
does not meet the demand. Mm -hmm. So the hoteliers and the moteliers can charge pretty much what they want because people will pay it. And I think what people want to look at when they read this story is there's no one reason why th this is the way it is. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in 2018, three short years ago, there were more rooms than there were visitors. Sure. So and, and right. that certainly isn't the case now hmm. because um, we're breaking records left and right with visitation. What's interesting, I'm, I'm just pulling out just a segment of, of Carter's article. You know, he reports that, you know, when hotels started going up years ago, prices went down. But that tr trend, as you just hinted upon, has has certainly changed. Absolutely. Based on visitation. Absolutely. You know, Vegas in the in the 90s, um, when when the mob finally got kicked out and corporations mm -hmm. started taking over and, and the real criminals ha had control of, of Las Vegas. It's <laughs> a funny um, joke. Yeah, it is. It's, it's an old joke in Vegas. But, um, uh, you know, you would get 25,000 visitors a year and you had 30,000 rooms. So mm -hmm. you could get a room for 30 bucks. Mm -hmm. Well, now they're getting uh, 60, 70, mm -hmm. 80,000 visitors a weekend. And um, mm -hmm. you can pay, you can easily pay $400 for a, a very mediocre room mm -hmm. and feel yeah. good about it. Well, thanks, Doug, for uh, a breakdown of that piece. Should we mention, you know, we're, we're speaking on um, Thursday, which is the day after um, Moab experienced a pretty big storm. Do you yes. want to mention, you know, some of the aftermath that you've observed? And I know the Times Independent has online coverage of yes. this. We do. Ironically, I was here at the station last <laughs> uh, right. uh, Wednesday night when the uh -huh. storm hit and the power went out. And I thought, oh, I had this great playlist. But actually, I was more worried about what do I do? It's right. the first time. I've only, it's only my third or fourth time. So I wasn't really sure what the protocol was. Uh, and of course, I called uh, Crystal and Sarah and they could tell me what, uh -huh. I, what I needed to do. Uh, the storm obviously was bad enough to knock the power out and it stayed out for at least an hour that I know of. Mm -hmm. um, but it certainly didn't strike me as this horrible storm. And then I hear longtime residents that live downtown saying, this is the worst I've ever seen. You know, right. they've been here 30, 40, 50 years. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, I just think they're exaggerating. It was a bad storm, but they're exaggerating. They've been in worse. And then I drove downtown hmm. this morning, and mm -hmm. I saw, oh, my goodness, there's a, there's a home on 4th East and 100 North. They have a huge pine tree that uh, fell on their house and did significant damage, mm. significant damage. You could hear chainsaws, and uh, you had city road crews cleaning right. up debris. And over on Rose Tree, uh, a tree toppled over, and uh, it was a twofer. It knocked out power, the power line, and it also ripped out the gas line. Wow. So one tree was doing double duty, and mm -hmm. uh, they got that taken care of, fortunately. It did knock out power to a pretty sizable portion. I know the uh, Apache Motel did not have a single visitor this morning when I was walking around downtown getting photos. Mm. So a lot of debris, lots of mud on the sidewalks. Yeah, many of the main thoroughfares were, were flooded. Yeah, I, I sat right here at the station with the door open. It was nice and cool, and I just... I watched the storm, and I knew that if I tried to walk five feet uh -huh. to my truck, I'd be soaking wet right. by the time I got there. So uh -huh. uh, it, was, uh, it was pretty intense. Doug McMurdo, editor of the Times Independent. Subscription information and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com.
Significant flooding in Moab is the talk of the town this week. Rachel Fixen of the Moab Sun News takes us to where it started. On Sunday, heavy rainfall in the Pat Creek watershed caused a flash flood. As Rachel reports, radar equipment estimated about an inch of rain fell over the Pat Creek fire burn scar in a 30 to 60 minute period. She starts with what this flood looked like in town. You know, if you didn't see it, then um, hop on Facebook. And there are many very impressive videos um, that people took all over town. There were a lot of folks on the creek banks and on the bridges watching it because it was just this really impressive sight. Um, So I did talk with the Weather Service in Grand Junction, um, Mm -hmm. who covers our area, and they said that there was a big rain event kind of in the mountains in the Pack Creek watershed. Okay. It saw between 0.8 and 1.2 inches of rain within an hour. And because the ground is burned up there, when there's ash, it puts this kind of like hydrophobic coating on the top layer of soil. So instead of trickling down and um, seeping into the soil, it'll run off and obviously fall into the watershed. And we saw this big spike in the flow and the height and we saw that it was very ashy and black (laughs) Um, and that was obviously from all the soot um, and ash coming down from the Pat Creek burn scar. Did you see it? I did yeah I actually live uh, close by and I was driving home right around I want to say like 6 30 or 7 o'clock and I saw all these people on the bridge on Pat Creek um, over on Spanish Valley Drive and I was like oh what's going on mm-hmm. and then uh, someone texted me and then I went outside my house and my front door is probably 500 feet from the creek or something and mm-hmm. I could smell that like very rivery, silty, mm-hmm. ashy smell, and I could hear this like thundery noise of like high water, and I was like, "Wow, like that's I definitely don't usually sense those things from my front door." Right. Um, so I went over to a neighbor's backyard and was watching it, and uh, I don't know if I caught it at the very highest point, but mm-hmm. at a pretty high point, um, and it was just moving fast, and you know, there's all sorts mm-hmm. of tree branches and wood pallets and tires and all sorts of stuff getting carried down and getting caught on trees um and then within an hour it had dropped by several feet um you know you could just see it receding uh yeah quite a spectacle anything else to mention about the burn scar or expectations for more flooding that are in in this piece Yeah, the Forest Service did issue a press release saying that um, with all the moisture forecasts, it being the monsoon season, um, Mm -hmm. we can expect more flooding. And their their press release kind of focused on like safety tips. Um, So knowing what the forecast is and having some awareness of if you're in a flash flood Mm -hmm. zone, um, wherever you're planning on going. But I think there are a lot of restoration, I guess I want to say like surveys or um, just kind of looking at the situation and what we're going to need to do. Um, and unfortunately all that takes time and, uh, monsoon is here now. (laughs) So there might not, you know, we might not be able to, uh, achieve some of those, um, restoration things as quickly as would be ideal. Right. Uh, another article to highlight in the Moab Sun news, uh, that you wrote this week, Rachel, luxury rail line, So this is something that um, I think a lot of community members are interested in. The Sun News actually reported last year that, you know, Rocky Mountaineer, which is a Canadian-based rail tour company, had announced plans to do this new excursion from Denver to Moab. And I think the question back then, where are they going to drop passengers off? And it's interesting to me that 
it's still kind of in flux right now. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, I think um, as far as like the company's perspective, I think they feel, you know, they're sure that mm-hmm. they've picked a spot, but it is kind of a funny situation. Like instead of it being like a platform mm-hmm. um, with services or anything, it's just kind of a spot where right. the train's going to stop and people are going to get off and they're going to get onto buses right away and then mm-hmm. come into town. Um, you know, if they're staying in a hotel or going on a tour or whatever. Right. Um, but from what the company is describing, the, the passenger unloading and loading site is going to be pretty basic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a long highway, uh, 313 and they are leasing it from, uh, I think it's a combination of union Pacific and intrepid potash, but it's getting problematic because grand County requires that they have a conditional use permit and a business license to be able to operate their business in grand County. And Rocky Mountaineer, the, the luxury rail company, believes that there are two federal laws that kind of override any local requirements. Mm-hmm. And so they're saying we don't need to do these things that Grand County is asking us to do. So mm-hmm. there's a conflict right now, and hopefully it can get resolved because I mm-hmm. think a lot of folks are excited to see um, some developments in, in rail transportation. Yeah, I mean, this is something that people have been wondering about. You know, it kind of opens in my mind um, a curiosity about ever getting other passenger service, you know, beyond the $1,000 ticket model service uh, to Moab. But it is exciting that uh, there's a train company bringing passengers that doesn't have anything to do with um, moving uranium tailings, um, which also happens on that rail line, but is another way for people to travel. Um, but again, we don't have a we don't have a embarking or disembarking stop. Right. Yeah. And it's I mean, obviously, this luxury rail line is not like a practical transportation option. It's, Mm -hmm. as you mentioned, like a very expensive kind Mm -hmm. of scenic tour vacation type of package. Um, I think there was some hope that it would be kind of like a foot in the door to, you know, advance the the cause of a a practical Mm -hmm. um, rail transportation. But yeah, I think uh, part of that would, you know, people imagining that this company would build some sort of platform Mm -hmm. and you know it's possible from what Christina Sloan the county attorney has mentioned and parts of Grand County's legal response Mm -hmm. it sounds like it's at least been discussed that in the future some kind of structure might be built Um, but it's it's definitely not clear I think you know that that's a good point because that's one of the reasons Grand County wants to have some regulatory you know authority um on a future build out if that's you know if that's coming down the line anything else that is you know worth mentioning about grand county's response um to the complaint that rocky mountaineer um posited somewhat recently this is not part of the legal response but i will say that christina sloan mentioned that the county is very excited to Mm -hmm. have this you know operation within the county and is not trying to you know obstruct it at all Mm -hmm. um but just trying to yeah, make sure that they're providing for the safety of, you know, operations that are happening in the county. And I think drainage is one of the specific things that's mentioned. And, you know, obviously we were just talking about the flooding, like properties draining properly mm-hmm. um, is something that's it's very clear that that's important here. I think the company said they're going to do a little bit of resurfacing or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and the county just wants to have like, you know, site plans and, and some assurance that drainage is taken care of. Is it clear to you, you know, if this will put a halt to Rocky Mountain? Because I know they have uh, plans to start service 
um, mid-August. Is it clear to you if this is going to halt that service or if they'll work out some sort of temporary agreement at this point? That's a good question. Um, The spokesperson that I communicated with from Rocky Mountaineer uh, said she couldn't comment on it, but they are selling tickets for um, trips starting in mid-August, and they did already do like a test run of, Mm -hmm. you know, train without passengers just to make sure everything went smoothly. Um, and that was in early July. Mm -hmm. So it seems as though they're planning on um, moving ahead, and that may be just that they're kind of banking on the court siding with them, Mm -hmm. saying you don't have to do these things, Um, or maybe they're, you know, that's their first hope, and then maybe they'll just Mm -hmm. acquiesce to all the documentation and things that Grand County is asking for, Mm -hmm. Um, but they haven't said. Rachel Fixen, staff reporter at the Moab Sun News. Subscription information and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. And that's it for the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters about their latest stories in the Moab area. Find the pieces mentioned in the show notes of today's news at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU Community Powered Radio.